Hello, everyone. This is Pastor Jay Tyler from Holt Assembly of God, and I want to thank you for listening to this broadcast of Life in the Spirit. I pray that you are challenged, blessed, and encouraged as you hear God's Word shared in this message. Today's message is the second message of our series, Me and My Big Mouth. How many of you can identify with that statement, Me and My Big Mouth? And I'm, listen, I'm not talking about the times where we open mouth and insert foot, right? I'm not talking about faux pas. I'm talking about uh, something that comes from our heart, the attitude of our heart. So in this series, we're talking about some of the ways we get ourselves into troubles with our big mouths. Throughout this series, I want to remind you of this truth. It's very important. Just, I, I'm going to say it every message. Uh, there is power in the words that we speak. Our words have power. So there is power in the words that we speak. And this is what the Bible says, that uh, death and life, Proverbs uh, 18.21, death and life are in the power of of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words have the power to give life or they have the power to promote, promote death. It's my hope to encourage you to use your words to give life. Use your words to give life. Our words also do this. They reveal our hearts. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 12, 34. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So again, our words expose the attitude of our heart. What are your words revealing? What are your words revealing about your heart? So last week we talked about um, complaining. And I don't know about you, I don't like to be around complainers. They just, they just get me down, you know what I'm saying? And uh, today we're going to talk about criticism. Criticism is defined this way, and this is just the secular definition of criticism. Nothing spiritual about it, you just go straight to the dictionary, you'll find it. Criticism is defined this way. It's when we indicate the faults of someone or something in a disapproving way. It's when we indicate the faults of someone or something in a disapproving way. So a person who criticizes is called a critic. And if you think about the word critic, it really it's a, when you look it up, it's just a judger or one who judges. Now, based on that secular explanation alone, we could see the problems of being, a, being someone who is critical uh, with our walk with the Lord. So in church circles, we refer to, uh, refer to someone who is overly critical. We say that they have a critical spirit. And that's, a, that's the right term because remember this, critical words come from a critical heart. So if someone says, man, I got a critical spirit. That's a good term because their words are critical because their heart, they have a critical heart. Now when we're talking about criticism, remember this, we're not talking about constructive criticism, good feedback. Now, we all know the difference between good feedback and bad feedback, when it's just vile, when it's nasty, when it's personal. But we're not talking about the constructive criticism that we can have when we know that someone loves us and they want what's best for us. But I'm talking about the criticism that is this. It's nitpicking. You know, it's unkind. It's often uninformed. It's cruel. It's cruel criticism that often goes off on the wrong, in the wrong direction. So remember this, as we go through this series, the title of this series is Me and My Big Mouth, and it's not them and their big mouths. So it's me and my big mouth. And this is what the problem we have with criticism. We, it's often difficult for us to, to look at ourselves as being critical. But that's exactly what we have to do. We have to start right here with ourselves. So we hate it when someone criticizes us, but we often don't realize it when we're critical of others. We, weren't, we wouldn't criticize them if they weren't so stupid. We wouldn't criticize them if they, didn't say, if they wouldn't say the things that they say. 
we wouldn't criticize them if, we, if they didn't act the way that they acted. Uh, we wouldn't criticize them because, listen, we know what's best for their lives. So sometimes our critical natures can be summed up in these words. Check this out. God has a wonderful plan for your life, and so do I. If you don't live up to my plan, I will criticize you the way you raise your kids, the way you dress, what you post on Instagram, how you drive your car, work with last vacation because God knows you don't have the money to pay for it. So listen to what Paul writes uh, to believers in Galatia. Galatians 5, 14 and 15. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So love your neighbor as yourself. It's the benchmark for us as Christians that we love each other as we love ourselves. But if our words are constantly critical, if we're constantly harsh, if we're constantly cutting people down, criticizing them, picking them apart, harsh words, how on earth are we ever going to fulfill our purpose, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves? The answer is this, we can't. And remember this, our words are revealing our heart. Your words, well, my words are critical, but my heart's right. No, it's not. It's, that's, that's incorrect. If your, heart, if your words are critical, your heart is critical. See, it's not, it's not a word problem, it's a heart problem. For some, your words are, are critical, and they're actually destroying the potential you could have for the intimacy in your marriage. Spouses, listen up. If you're overly critical of your spouse, you are destroying your intimacy. If you're a guy, today's Valentine's Day, and if you're critical of your wife, she's not going to have anything to do with you. I don't care how much chocolate you buy her. For some of you, your critical words are, are driving walls between you and your children. For some of you, your critical words are keeping you from sharing the goodness of God. Here's why, because you want to share Jesus with someone, but they won't receive it because they hear your critical words. And if if that's what it means to be a believer, then I don't want to be a believer because if that's what it's about, then forget about it. When you criticize anything and everything, it ruins your testimony. Proverbs twelve eighteen says this, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Some people make cutting remarks. Their words have a way of penetrating to the place of our heart where it brings hurt, where it brings pain, where it brings anger. But the Bible says the words of the wise bring healing, they give life, they bring the best out of a person, even in a bad situation. Paul says it this way, look at this, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others up, according to, look at that, according to their needs, not your needs, according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So are your words being used to build up people or are your words being used to tear down people? Paul said this, don't let any, let's say it this way, don't let any unhelpful, unwholesome, impure, critical words come out of your mouth. It's going to be a challenge for some of you. But remember, your words reveal your heart. You know, some of us, we, we get so good at tearing people down and unfortunately it's a sport, it's a pastime. And it's going to be a hard habit to break, but you got to because the word is very clear. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. So we have no, no idea how a single word of criticism can pierce someone's soul and stay with them forever. Just stay with them forever. Just destroy them. Go, they, they hear that criticism day after day, year after year. Just sticks with them. But on the other hand, we have no idea how a single word of encouragement can build someone up and give them the faith to go on, and they remember that word forever. 
You know, when everyone spoke to me this way, you spoke to me this way. So remember that. How are we using our words? Church, let's, let's be people who bring healing, amen? Let's be people, make the decision that I'm going to be a person who my words are going to be used to bring life or to give life. So the Bible really gives us two options when we're handling our words. It's very, very easy. So the first type of person we can be is this, a fault finder. We can be a fault finder. A fault finder, honestly, is what most people are. And here's why. Most of us are fault finders because of our sin nature. We always tend, we have a tendency because of our sin nature to look for the negative rather than the positive. Some of us are more attuned to that sin nature. And I'm just saying this, we've got to be careful. So the fault finder, and it's, it's what we, we might be most patterned as. For you who are married, be careful because it's easy to be a fault finder. Any one of us can take a relatively good person and before it's lunch, lunchtime, we can just pick them apart. Just pick them to the bone. Like this, I, I don't like how you do this. Why did you do that? I, I would have done it this way. See, these are subtle, critical words and some not so subtle. That was stupid. What were you thinking? I can't believe the picture she posted on Instagram. She says she loves Jesus, but it looks like to me she loves her body more. But I'm not judging, I'm just saying. That's being critical. I can't believe the way they're raising their kids. They might just go ahead and put them in prison right now. Because if that's the way they're going to raise their kids, that's where they're going to be. All right? You know, I can't believe how that person drives their car. They got that Jesus bumper sticker on their car. They never take that Jesus sticker off because they're being a bad witness. Listen, can I tell you this, from, just from my own experience? Christian or non-Christian, bad drivers exist. You can find me on a bad day and think I'm a bat out of hell. That's all I'm saying, all right? And get out of my way. Whatever it is, it's so easy to be a fault finder. It's, it's, our, it's our default, and we've got to push against that. We've got, we got to press against that. So if you're a fault finder, let me remind you this. That in the Bible, there were some, some pretty negative people, some fault finders. They're called the Pharisees. The Pharisees were fault finders. They did, that's exactly what they did. They found fault. And they were the first to criticize, the first to find fault. Not only were the Pharisees, you know, when we're a fault finder, not only were we like the Pharisees, guess what? We're actually like the devil. You may not like to hear that, but it's true. Because the devil, he is a deceiver. He is a devourer. He is the prince of darkness. He is the father of lies, but here is this. He is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses people day and night before God. He's a criticizer. That's what he does. He criticizes. He's a fault finder. You know, isn't it interesting how the devil works? There will be temptation to do, to do, but once you do that thing, he will be the first to criticize you. That's what the Pharisees did. It's what the devil does. And in reality, that's what a lot of us do. We find fault. But why? Why do we find fault? Because we're full of pride. We think we know what's best. Because so many people are so insecure, they're so quick to criticize someone else. And sometimes we criticize of our very own weaknesses that we see in someone else, we criticize them. We can also be guilty of criticizing someone or something from a distance. Boy, that is dangerous. Dangerous, dangerous to do. That when we criticize something from a distance, because here's why, we, only, we often only know in part but we are really good at filling in the blanks, aren't we? And then criticizing it. It's like this. It's, 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 we're often critical from a distance. Here's where one area where it erupts. Couples who have children. And you take that child to the grocery store. 
You take your two-year-old to the grocery store, and everybody else is suddenly an expert. Right? Every, you know, the ones who are really the experts are the ones who have never had children before. Here's what, I know you're not supposed to negotiate with terrorists. Right? You're not supposed to negotiate with terrorists, but for crying out loud, for your own sanity, just buy the candy, give them the toy, promise them whatever they need to get them out of there, and shut their mouths. And you're not a bad parent if you do that. You can deal with them at home. You can murder them there in privacy. I know you're not supposed to negotiate with terrorists, but listen, the, the people are so quick to do that, I've never had a two-year-old that is a terrorist. So don't be so quick to assume, don't be so quick to speak. When we criticize others, we tend to think it makes me look smarter. It doesn't. It tends to make me look like an expert, but you're not. This makes me show, it shows me how good I am. No, what it does, it shows how insecure you are and how mean-spirited you are. So ask yourself, have you ever met a critical person that you've ever wanted to be like? Critical people are often lonely people. They don't often get that, and they don't understand why, because when you get around them, the nails, the teeth come out, and they just devour you. So ask yourself, have you ever been, ever wanted to be like a critical person? Of course not. I've never once met a critical person that I ever wanted to be like. And to real be up to honest with you, I don't want to even be around them. So there's a verse in the Bible. I want to say this up front. I did not write this verse. Okay? I did not write this verse. You can criticize me for bringing up this verse, but I want you to understand this is God's word. So when I read this, especially on Valentine's Day, men, I want you not to lose eye contact with me. Always look eye throughout this verse. Don't look down. Don't look over. Do not nod your head. Do not say amen. Because if you do, I will not come to your rescue. Proverbs 21, 19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. There is no such verse about men, but listen, ladies, this goes both ways. It's all right. Because there are overly critical men and there are overly critical women. So I've never met a person, male or female, that I wanted to be like or around that was overly critical. So I want you to ask yourself that for those of you who have battled a critical spirit, because I've, I've battled with a critical spirit before in my life, do we really want to be a fault finder? Do we really want to go down that path? Rather than being a fault finder, wouldn't you rather be known as a hope dealer? I didn't say dope. I said hope. So the Bible gives us two options when it comes to handling our words. We can be a fault finder or we can be a hope, hope dealer. Look what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, the, 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 again, the source of our words is our hearts. And when you're overflowing with the Holy Spirit, it's evident. It's evident. Before coming to Christ, Paul's the one who writes this verse, but before coming to Christ, Paul was a fault finder. He was a Pharisee. Remember, he is the one that is given permission or standing in authority over Stephen's death. So he's a fault finder. Paul comes to Christ. He's probably the chief fault finder of his day, but when he comes to Jesus, that all changes. He becomes the chief hope dealer. So what does that tell you? It tells you this. If you are a fault finder, you can change. You can change in Jesus' name, amen? The power of the Holy Spirit can help you become a hope dealer rather than a fault finder. After Paul comes to Jesus... Whenever he would speak, whatever he would write, he wasn't going to tear people down. He wasn't going to take them apart. He was going to build them up. He wasn't going to let any unwholesome talk come out of his mouth or out of his pen. 
and only, only what was helpful for building up others. Look what Paul writes. Romans chapter 8 is a great chapter of the Bible. And I just want to pick out a few parts, uh, a few verses from Romans chapter 8. And just listen to the words. Listen to the hope Paul is trying to instill in his listeners. Uh, Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. No criticism. No, no castigation. No denunciation. No disapproval for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know what you call that. I call that hope. Paul, Paul's not bringing judgment. He's bringing hope into our lives. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. But we tear down when people are in their weaknesses. But the Holy Spirit, look what he does. He helps us in our weakness. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and kick us down when we're down. He comes to help us in our weaknesses. Doesn't that give you hope? Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Listen, if you ever run into someone who is gifted in criticism, Remind yourself of this, this verse right here. If God is for you, who can be against you? I don't care what the naysayer says. If God is for you, who can be against you? Romans 8, 37. Now in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Criticism has a way of tearing you apart, breaking you down, and just walking all across you. But God's word says this. Now in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through Christ, we are not failures, we are more than conquerors. He goes on to say, Romans 8, 38, 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's hope. He's instilling hope into people. Church, listen to me. It's easy, it's so easy, it's so natural to our flesh to be critical especially right now in this current state of, of affairs, socially and politically, it's so easy to be critical. When you point out what's obvious, it doesn't make you a genius. It often makes you just look mean. So easy to be, so, so critical. And you know what often happens is when we are critical, you know who else chimes in? Critical people. Pharisees were fault finders. The devil's a fault finder. But Jesus, he's full of hope. And I, I love the metaphors of Jesus throughout Scripture. Let's just share a couple before I get to the one I want to. You know, he's referred to as the bread of life. Jesus is often called living water, the good shepherd, the door, the living vine, king of kings, lord of lords, alpha and omega. Let me tell you who he is. Look what Paul says, 1 Timothy 1.1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior in Christ Jesus, our hope. Jesus is our hope. Look at this, Titus 2.13. While we wait for the what? The blessed hope. The appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So not only is our hope, he is our blessed hope. He is our returning hope. 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He is our hope. He is our blessed hope. He is a living hope. Whenever someone would sin, you know what the Pharisees would do? They would point out, they would accuse people of their sin. They would just call them out. So what would happen with the Pharisees? They would point out sin. 
listen, Jesus would call sin for sin, wouldn't he? He had no problem calling out sin for what it was, but there's a difference how he did it than with the Pharisees. He would call sin for what it was, but then he would also give that person hope and a way to escape. Prime example was the woman caught in adultery. What are the Pharisees do? I mean, she's caught in the act of adultery. They bring her to Jesus. Now, the law says this, that we must stone her. And that was true. It was, what they were saying was true. It was correct. So what should we do? And the Pharisees point out everything that was wrong. So Jesus, what does he do? He kneels down beside her. He starts writing something in the dirt, writing something in the sand. You know, scholars all debate what, what, was, what, was, she, what was he writing but more likely, he was probably writing their, their sin. You know, writing now because the men leave from, you know, the oldest to the youngest. Something that convicted them when they saw what he was writing. Whatever it was, they dispersed. And then what happens is Jesus kneels down to that woman. And what he does is something that the Pharisees do not do. Someone who with a critical spirit will not do. He bends down and he begins to speak to her. He kneels down to the woman. He says, listen, woman, where are your fault finders? Where are your critics? Where are your accusers? Where are those who tried to condemn you, to put you down? And she looks up and says, they're all gone. Now Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, but don't do this again, right? Sin no more. Do you see the difference in the attitude and the heart? Yeah, you're in sin. You were caught in the very act, but go and do it no more. What did the Pharisees want to do? Stone her, put her to death. That's what a critical heart, that's what a critical nature, that's what a critical word does. They bring death, they don't bring life. They're all gone. She finds acceptance with, with Christ. Church, are we, are we going to be fault finders or are we going to be hope dealers? That's what the Pharisees were. They were fault finders. That's who our spiritual enemy is. He is a fault finder. He's the prince of darkness. He is the father of lies. He's a great deceiver and he is our accuser. But who is Jesus? He is the way. He is the truth. He is life. He is our living hope. He is our blessed hope. I don't know about you. I want to be a hope dealer. I wonder how many kids grew up in this environment where every single thing they did was picked apart. Picked apart by someone. That kid grows up thinking this. Why should I even try? Why even bother? I'm a failure. Everything I do is wrong. Everything I do is incorrect. Why even try? Everyone calls me a loser. Everyone calls me stupid. Everyone says I'm lazy. Everyone says I'm sloppy. What if that same kid, instead of constantly pointing out the bad, we highlighted what was positive? Because I'll tell you what, I've worked with kids almost all my, my ministry, and I can't tell you how many kids are just destroyed by adults. Destroyed. And they live at that level always. Defeated. Because they look at it, there's no hope. There's no hope for me. This person who is authority in my life says I'm going to be this way, I'm going to be this way. But what if we take that same child and instead of always pointing out what's critical, why don't we point out what's right? Are they really that so bad, so fallen that you can't find something good or right in them? Or, I mean, are they really the devil's spawn? Don't you think the trajectory of that kid, that kid who's beat down constantly, told he's a failure, told he's a loser, told he does everything wrong, and listen, there, there may be some truth that there are some things that they do wrong. But instead of that fault, rather than pointing that out constantly, so critically, what if we reaffirmed that kid? We began to speak life into that kid. Don't you think that would change the trajectory of that kid's path? Absolutely it will. Absolutely. If you've ever worked with kids, if you've done, ever done any kind of coaching, you know that this is true. It's so hard. We get caught up in the moment, caught up in the emotion, and we react before we think and before we speak. 
and we speak words of death instead of life. You have no idea what a kind word can do for a person. And we have no idea the power that critical words bring, the death they can bring, how we can beat someone's self-esteem down. You have no idea, husband or wife, when you criticize your spouse, what that does to their self-esteem. You have no idea when you're, when you're hard on your kids unfairly, how it belittles them and how it distances them from you. You have no idea how foolish you look when you criticize, thinking it looks, makes you look better, smarter. But it doesn't. It makes you look insecure. It makes you look mean-spirited. You have no idea what one word of encouragement, how that could change a person's life. Again, you have no idea how one word, when you take time to build someone up, what that can do for that person. The Bible says, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building up others according to their needs. You see a kid that's failing, you see a kid that's struggling, you see a kid that's misbehaving, rather than jumping on, jumping on them and tearing down their throats, why don't you speak some life into them? Because listen, it's according to their needs. You see a need, why don't you handle it differently? If we just be more mindful about using our words for good, if we just make a habit of speaking life rather than death, sometimes we just need to do this. Before we speak, before we let those words out, just pause for a second and think about how these words are going to land. Yeah, it might be truthful, it might be honest, but maybe that's not what's called for in this situation. Maybe there's some mercy, some love. Let your words give life. Let your words give hope. Your kid may not be the neatest kid, but he's a great kid or she's a great kid. Tell that child they're amazing. Build them up. Encourage them. Your wife may not be the most organized person, but she's an incredible mom. Let her know she's an incredible mark. Instead of picking her apart, once you build her up? Church, choose your words wisely. By the way, criticism is not welcome through those doors. So choose your words wisely. Choose them to give life. And you have no idea, again, how those words can build somebody up or how it can tear them down. So when I was younger, I could be overly critical and because I was very insecure. And it, you know what? We think we make it look, it makes us look smart. We can point out the obvious, but it doesn't. It just makes you look mean-spirited. And I didn't realize this. I was speaking death. I'd speak death all the time. But as, I got, as I've gotten older, as I understand God's love for me and his mercy and his grace, and, it, and in light of my own sinfulness, that it has caused me to pause and say, you know what? All right, I shouldn't be that way. Just conviction from the Holy Spirit. Just, just as I got closer to Jesus, the less, the less critical I became. So therefore, I will not waste my time. Hear me, church, and I hope you will do the same. I will not waste my time criticizing the speck of someone else's eye when I got a log of my own. Some of you need to make that same choice today because who God is, because of what he's done, because how he's forgiven us, because of the hope he's instilled in us, because he loves me and a, we are a person that does not deserve that love, but he gives us to us freely. Therefore, make this commitment. I will not tear down. I will, not, I will build up instead. Uh, we are people of God. We are followers of Jesus. We are hope dealers. We are not fault finders. We point people to Jesus. We don't point them to their faults. We don't point them to destruction. We point them to life. We point them to giving life to a living hope, to Christ who is the King of kings, who is the Lord of lords, who loves them. We point people to the one who forgives brokenness and restores, who heals us of our infirmities. We point people to Jesus, our Savior, our King, our Lord. We point them to hope. We're not fault finders. Anybody can be a fault finder. The Pharisees were fault finders. 
The devil's a fault finder, but we are followers of Christ. We are followers of Jesus. We speak words of healing. We speak words of life. That's the commitment we've got to make. It's two options. The fault finders are like the Pharisees, and those who speak hope are like Jesus. What's your choice? What's your decision? You have no idea what your mean, critical words can do. I can wound someone, and it can bring, life, it can bring death into their life, but you don't know how powerful a word can be spoken that encourages someone what it can do for their life. So what do you want to be? Are you going to be a person whose words give life? Or are you going to be a person whose words promotes death? Are we going to be a church who gives life to our community? Or are we just going to be fault finders? That's the decision we need to make there. Make a commitment today to be a person who's going to give hope. I'm going to be a person that gives life. When it comes to my marriage, when it comes to my children, when it comes to my grandchildren, I'm going to be a person that promotes hope and life. I'm not going to be a fault finder. And I pray the Holy Spirit will help us all to choose our words wisely, to use our words to promote grace. Pray the Holy Spirit give us wisdom to do this before I say those words. Once again, I'd like to thank you for listening to this message. It was an honor to be able to spend this time with you in God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about Holt Assembly of God, please go to our website at www.holtag.org and connect with us there. Until our next broadcast of Life in the Spirit, I hope that you have a great day as you serve the Lord Jesus with a grateful heart.